0: Hello, and welcome to the Real Talk with Tamara podcast. I'm Tamara, a photographer and creative director for beauty, wellness, and lifestyle brands and professionals, and your host of Real Talk with Tamara. So this podcast covers actionable, down-to-earth business and lifestyle advice for creative entrepreneurs who aspire to make an impact in their communities while keeping it real, of course. A little housekeeping before we get into it. Please follow or subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, and comments are currency, so please leave a comment. You may just get a shout out on an upcoming episode. Hey y'all, so today I'm chatting with Michelle Pitts, someone I met through my network about a little less than a year ago. Michelle is a lawyer and uses her knowledge to support creatives and the creative community. Having a solid contract protects not only the service provider, but also the client as well. And we're covering common mistakes when it comes to contract writing, how to handle licensing, and other ways to protect yourself in this episode. Before we get into it, here is a little bit more about Michelle. Michelle Pitts is the owner of Burgess Law PLLC, an intellectual property law firm located in Washington, D.C. As a Miami native, Michelle grew up surrounded by creatives, and she began her career as a prosecutor and eventually chose to combine her interest in law and the arts by opening a firm dedicated to demystifying the world of business and law for creatives and small businesses. So whether your passion is a side hustle or a full-time business, Burgess Law, PLLC, helps by supplying creatives with the necessary contracts, trademarks and copyrights to protect their brand and business. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey Michelle, welcome to Real Talk with Tamara. I'm so happy to have you here today.
1: Thank you for inviting me Tamara, it's gonna be fun.
0: Yeah, so before we jump into my questions, I would love it if you can share what inspired you to focus your lawyer expertise specifically for the creative entrepreneur community?
1: Okay. Well, when I was in law school, I had a focus on business and criminal law. And when I graduated, um, I went to Florida State in Tallahassee. And when I graduated, I moved back to my hometown of Miami. And there I was a criminal prosecutor. But of course, since it's my hometown, I had friends there still and the art district of Wynwood was developing and things like that. So my friends were getting into the creative space and I was the only attorney they knew. So they were um, constantly giving me their contracts or, you know, they're at the process of really getting into the mindset of trying to own what they're creating and things like that. So they kind of like helped me learn, helped me go out there and like research these things and figure out all the complexities of intellectual property. Because of course, when you graduate law school, you have a basic understanding of everything, you know, contracts and things like that. But um, dealing with them, I was like, I really enjoy this. So after work, I would be going over there. And I was like, you know what, I really would like to make this a full time thing and really do something. You know, I was I I have a passion for criminal law, I still do. But I was like, I'd really like to do this as instead of my side gig, make this a full blown business. And I decided to take a leap when I moved to Washington DC with my now husband, um, I decided to take a leap and make it a legitimate LLC. So that's how I
0: birthed, uh, Burgess law. Love it. And when did you officially launch Burgess law?
1: I officially launched it June of 2018.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you offer is something that is so valuable to the creative community. It's so important when you speak about intellectual property and protecting ourselves, which we'll get into a little bit further in the, in the questions. Um, but let's start with an easy one. Okay. Um, what makes a document an actual contract?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess in its simplest form, I would say a contract is just a document that has a promise in it between two people, at least two people. So if there's some kind of promise there on the sheet of paper, you're promising something and they're promising to do that thing for you, there's some exchange of services, then it's a contract.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess it's
1: that promise, that binding binding promise.
0: Yeah. So I really love how you said that it's a document that has a promise between mm-hmm. at least two people. I think that's a really great and simple way of explaining what a contract is. So what would be For a service-based business, three non-negotiables that should be in your contracts, if we're saying, if we're promising something to someone. Definitely,
1: you need to, a lot of people do forget this, um, but I would say you need to definitely track down who is financially responsible for these services, just so you know if things were to go left and not work out, you know exactly who you're going to be suing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a huge thing. You definitely can't forget that the price, the ultimate price of this, these things, the things that are within the scope of work and the rate at which you'd bill if it does out venture outside of the scope of work during the project. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, this is a big one, the venue that, or jurisdiction that this, the contract's gonna be actually decided under, what laws of what state, you know, mm-hmm. that would that's a huge thing because you wanna see like, Whose laws are governing this contract? Where are we going to decide this um, if we do go to mediation or something like that? So that makes a huge impact. Those are three things you have to have
0: no matter what. Yeah. And then also too, um, you actually shared this with me in a separate uh, conversation when I was running the mastermind for photographers, but you mentioned a specific law about, protecting yourself from unforeseeable circumstances. And I remember when you shared this with me, I actually was surprised because this was not in my contract. Um, And so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about it because it's something that we don't really think about when it Mm -hmm. comes to like contract writing for service-based businesses or just creatives in general.
1: Yes, yes. Um, The most popular one of those type of clauses is called the force majeure clause. It's the act of God clause. It's anything that's outside the control of either party on either side. If something were to go wrong, like a storm, a war, something that makes the, the contract just no longer binding on you because you cannot perform your services, it's something you definitely want on there because um, you don't want someone expecting something or wanting to sue on the delay of the project if it's just impossible or impracticable for you to even impractical for you to even, you know, perform. Yeah. So yeah, the fourth major is a huge clause that um,
0: protects you. Thank you for, for talking a little bit more about that because y'all, I had no idea about this clause. It's, it's common sense. I feel like when it comes to creating a contract that works for you that, you're, that you feel comfortable with, because not only are you protecting yourself, you're protecting the client as well. And I feel like that's one major benefit of having a contract but I would love it if you can share maybe two or three more major benefits mm-hmm. of having a contract. Oh yeah, definitely. Um,
1: I would say, of course, you know, enhances your enforcement of the terms. Um, a lot of courts won't even verbal contracts just aren't contracts. Like you can never, you know, you can never sue on. a Well, they said this or they said that um, a lot of courts want to see it on paper. Mm-hmm. So it, it helps enforce what your terms are. It limits the confusion of what's expected by them and what you're responsible to perform. And um, it may even uh, increase your profits as well, because knowing exactly how much work you're going to be doing can help you quantify uh, the price. Mm -hmm. And if you're going outside of that scope and it's not in the contract, you can say, well, we never talked about that, but we can go by this rate because we're now venturing outside of what we originally contracted um, for. So those three things are huge. Um, Of course, professionally, if you are, you know, approaching someone and, um, well, as a customer, if someone, customer were to come to a company and not have a contract in place or not have any type of things on in writing, they would kind of think they're not that professional, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at a certain point, you have to step it up and put things on paper.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so speaking, speaking of putting things on paper, you know, I know my first contract was like a mix match mosh pit mm-hmm. of things that I found mm-hmm. online, but that necessarily, um, one can only take you so far. You only know what you know, yeah. you don't know, yeah. what you don't know, but eventually you should be investing in, in a lawyer. But sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like people go to lawyers once shit has hit the fan. Um, yes. And so, what would you say is a common mistake you see when it comes to contracts between parties? I'm sure there probably are, are, are a few, but what would be like a most common mistake?
1: I would say I do see a lot of online templates. I mm-hmm. definitely do, and um, so sometimes those templates provide too much language to the point that neither side knows what it says or it's so simple that it's not covering enough yeah. of what needs to be said so those kind of you know it is it's kind of like having some attorney look at your contract it's kind of like an insurance you hope you don't ever this this contract is good enough to cover you forever and ever but just in case things do go wrong you do want someone. to this make sure that the right language is in there mm-hmm. um yeah so and I also see like Where businesses have the same contracts for so long that they're not updating it with things that they just kind of learned in the business and practice of things that you know certain terms they'd want to after a year or two want to add or they realize that they aren't clear enough with the you know they've come into certain problems so just making sure that you're updating them every you know couple of years um, as well just making sure they're up to date and do match what you're you're offering and I've also seen with business owners that not having a planning or consultation period before signing the contract is huge because you want to really have a good grasp on the, what, you know, what the project is about before just handing off this contract, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you just want to make sure you kind of sit down with the person, even if it's a quick consultation, um, just have some kind of meeting
0: before we get to the contract stage. That, that I feel like goes into the selling part. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so when you are doing sales calls, are you explaining the process? So by the time it gets to the contract or the contract signing part of your process, you know, it's a reiteration of what you said during your sales calls. And even going a step beyond that, do you have somewhere on your website where you Talk about the process of, yeah. of the project, you know, for mm-hmm. you know vis- visitors of your website to really see and understand what they're going to get and what to expect. So yeah. I'm very happy that you <laughs> you brought that up um, <laughs> because I find that people just sign contracts not having mm-hmm. a, an understanding of what's happening, even <laughs> though it's explained. Maybe they didn't really pay attention during the call or they're afraid to ask additional questions when really it's really important to have those conversations prior to signing because once it's signed, it is now, as you have said, in writing.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And
0: so that is a binding document. So thank you for sharing that. Kind of switching gears just just a little bit. You know, <laughs> there is a small percentage of people in the audience, including myself who may be listening, who are considering licensing their work,
1: mm-hmm.
0: specifically to a third party. This may speak to more so the photographers. in yeah. the group. And licensing is definitely something new for me as well. When it comes to licensing, what would you say are three non-negotiables that should be in a licensing contract? And just to be clear, like this mm-hmm. is separate from a contract that you're providing for the service so this is yeah. completely different
1: yes definitely this is um something as far as if someone were to use your your photography or your artwork in some way your licensing you're giving those them those rights to that your particular work So I think the three main things with licensing agreements, you want to make sure it identifies exactly what you're giving away. You know, if it's a series of photos, if it's a particular photo, you want to make sure it's clearly identified in the licensing agreement. You also want to make sure it's clear that there's an end to the licensing duration of this contract. Um, If there is an end, you know, you want to make sure that the timeline is there in there. And you want to also make sure you know who you're licensing it to, just in case you see it somewhere else. You want to make sure you know if it's exclusive, non-exclusive, if it's a sole license. So just having those three main things: just what is it, who is it going to, and how long are they going to be able to actually use your licensed work?
0: Those are huge things. The, the last thing you want to do as as someone who's providing imagery or any type, type of content is to provide one person with it and then, you know, six months later you see it somewhere else and you're like, I should have been compensated for that probably. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, the copyright section of the original contract should have been a little bit more detailed. So would you say when it comes to copyright ownership and usage for the original parties involved, can that same thought process, in terms of where it's being used, duration, should that also be detailed out in those contracts as well? In the
1: service-based agreement, you do want to mention, yeah, that is something you'd want to have in your contract. Just talking about, especially like um, I've seen in like the wedding uh, photographers contracts and things like that, where you know they're going to share it or do something or manipulate the photography in some way you do want to make sure that you kind of let them know what the use standards are Mm -hmm. so yeah just in case you know just so if you want control over that you know and to make sure that things are being used a certain way you do want to mention on your contract you're kind of free to mention a lot of things that or how do you want your work to be used in your contract and it's just a matter of you explaining to them what you want And them agreeing to it, you know, but you're kind of free to put in a lot of special specifications as far as the use of your work in your contract if you would like.
0: Yeah. And it sounds to me like, correct me if I'm wrong, but as the service provider, we have a lot more leverage and power to put the things that we want in our contracts than we think we originally do. Yes, definitely. It just seems as if we leave a lot of things unspoken on the table, which ends up kind of shooting us in the foot, as opposed to putting everything in writing that we would want and just being comfortable having those negotiations. Negotiations are pretty normal. You want to make sure that there is middle ground that everyone is happy about before signing a contract. Probably one of the biggest takeaways is that mm-hmm. we have the freedom and the ability to write out our specifications and really protect mm-hmm. ourselves. Yes, definitely, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are there any last minute thoughts that you have on contracts for the creative community?
1: I would say a lot of the times people ask me, like, what are things that, um, how can they avoid litigation and things like that? Because litigation is not cheap. Um, <laughs> I would say that um, you can put in your clauses, and in, in, in your contract, you could put a clause about mediation or some alternate dispute. Resolution before litigation, just to you know, give an option if things do go wrong. You can mediate it out, which is a lot less expensive. It's a private kind of like lawyer to lawyer or you and your lawyer versus the other party in a room, just talking it out. That's a lot cheaper. That's something that people should consider because litigation isn't the next step. You could you could have another step between that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but but I I've noticed that with the creatives that I've worked with, the ultimate business tool that they've used to eliminate eliminate a lot of stress is just collecting that deposit and time deadlines for the other payments has been a huge stress reliever for them because just knowing you know if you missed a couple payments along the way it's a telltale sign that you know it's kind of like a warning um but you know just giving people a clear view of the payments and when they're due and collecting that deposit makes a huge difference um so those are business tips. I think <laughs> a lot of creatives can use. Thank you. And
0: that last one is major key. Uh, I yes. mean, <laughs> again, that is something for all the creatives out there. When you are on your calls, when you are doing sales calls, you should be talking about pricing. You should be talking about money period. Yes. Yes. Um, you should not in that conversation. If you really want to close the deal, you should be having a conversation on price and also how the payments are broken out if you have that already written out in your process which you should already have a SOP um with an understanding <laughs> of what should be what is the payment do you get paid at contract signing for the first payment and is the second payment at the final approval step so not when the clients get the actual final deliverable, but the Mm -hmm. final approval, which Mm -hmm. I have found is really helpful for service providers getting paid in full. While we like to give people the benefit of the doubt, once they have their things, they're so excited about sharing it with the world, they're not necessarily thinking, oh, I still have to pay this person. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not being negative or, or not trusting people. It's just using better business practices to protect Mm -hmm. yourself for the work that you have done. So thank you. (laughs) This is like really clear cut and to the point and hella, hella informative. Michelle, thank you so, so much. Oh, it's a for, pleasure.
1: Thank
0: you. Yeah, for your time. Before we wrap this up, I would love it if you can share just how people can find you and if you have any other amazing things happening in your world. Oh, yes. I am most
1: active on Instagram, I would say, and I'm lawyer for creatives there. I share my posts on Twitter and Facebook as well. On Twitter and Facebook, I am Burgess Law PLLC. And you can feel free to email me if you have direct questions um, at Michelle at Burgess Law,
0: Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate it. And I will see you on the gram. And on that note, this wraps up another edition of Real Talk with Tamara. Real Talk for Real Women. If you like what you've heard, please share with Reckless Abandon. And don't forget to follow on iTunes or Spotify so you don't miss out on the next episode. Until next time, remember to grind with grace and love. Peace and do you, boo.